This story happened more than 10 years ago, when I was still a student. It has a few graphic details of animal harm and graphic violence, so discretion is advised. A bit of a backstory, as with most students, I was always broke. I had a few ventures apart from my part-time job to bring me extra money. One of them was house and pet sitting. I have always had a love for animals, so when this couple contacted me and asked me to sit at their house for them for the few days before they returned from their overseas trip, as the last sitter had bailed on them and their six-month-old golden retriever puppy would be alone, I jumped at the opportunity. The fact that they promised to pay me the full two weeks fee for starting there less than a week made it just more appealing. Little did I know how bad it would turn out. I got the details, got the keys from the agent, and headed over to the house, as it was already after 5pm and almost dark. As it was early spring, I got to the house, which was a really nice place, but it bordered a not so good area that was and still is prone to criminal activity. House break-ins, robberies, etc. It did not bother me much, cause you know, nothing will happen to me. I know young and naive. The first four nights went without a hitch, watching movies, jacuzzi, and generally enjoying myself. The owners would have returned on the fifth day, fairly late at night. I went over to check out the doggo, and I got a call from them around 10pm, saying that their flight got delayed. They were going to stay in a hotel and do their three and a half hour drive back the following morning, and asked if I could sleep there again, that night, which was fine. I was already there and had my overnight bag still in my car. I called my dad to let him know their plans, as I was still staying with my parents, and he specifically asked what the address was. I normally didn't give out the details like that because I was old enough to look after myself. I still believe to this day that that's probably what saved my life. I eventually got to the bed at around 1am, and it felt like I'd only slept for about 5 minutes, when I was awoken to a window breaking, and I could hear movement what sounded like footsteps running down the hallway. The first thing I did was grab my phone and just hit redial. Thanks to my old Motorola phone, redialing was as simple as pressing one button. I asked my dad was the last number that I had called, hoping that he wakes up from the call. I then dropped the phone in between the headboard and the mattress in case my dad picks up, that he can hear what's going on. I had barely done that when the first guy stormed through the bedroom door. I could see his silhouette and he had a knife in his hand. When he saw me, he raised it and came at me. Now one thing is, those that are familiar with South Africa and the crime, is that robberies and house invasions usually are very brutal and violent. People get murdered and tortured if they're the slightest retaliant, or they don't cooperate with the robbers. Out of instinct, I raised my legs back when he came at me, and when he came within the reach, I kicked both of his legs out as hard as I can. Now, I'm not a small guy, I'm 6 foot 3, and at that stage, I weighed around 220 pounds, and I was fit and strong. My time not spent at the uni or work was at the gym. I could do an easy 250 pound bench press, 350 pound squat. When I kicked, I made contact with the guy and he completely lifted off the ground and shot into the wall. Luckily the knife shot out of his hand as well. Before he got the chance to get up, I was on top of him, driving my right knee into his face, and in return his head into the wall. 
I knew that my life depended on it, so I put some extra force. The guy dropped like a sack of potatoes. But before I could get up, I heard the sound of a pistol cock, and I froze. It felt like all the blood drained from my body and I just became numb. I remember the one thing that went through my head was that if he shot me, then I would rather die than be disabled or dependent on other people that will have to take care of me. He stood like that with a pistol against my head for what felt like hours, but was probably less than 10 seconds. I did not move, and he eventually said in a very broken English to get on the bed face down. I panicked, but I thought if he wanted to shoot me that he would already done so, so I did as he said. He threw a blanket over me and I turned into a fetal position with my back against the wall. So if they did just want to stab me, then I would have my legs and arms in front of me to protect my body. Now by that time I had forgotten that I had called my dad, and the guy that I just need is still down. I heard a third guy come into the room, and I could hear what sounded like Portuguese to me. I couldn't understand what they said, but I recognized it, as we used to go to Mozambique on holiday a lot, and that's the main language spoken there. The one guy tried to get the guy that I had put down off the ground while the other started to ransack the house, shoving valuables into a big bag. It was about at that time that I heard tires screech and a car approaching at what sounded like Mach 1. The car skidded to a halt right in front of the gate and I heard someone scream. It was my dad. The three inside the house panicked and they ran out the back door and tried to jump the fence. My dad opened fire shooting in their general direction. Now I know my dad missed them on purpose cause if he wanted to hit them he would, as he is not one of but the best shot that I know. And I'm not just saying that cause he's my dad, he's an ex army special forces, or recess for those in the know. Represented SA in the clay pigeon world championship a couple years, has various regional pistol and rifle championship titles and is a gunsmith by occupation. I have seen him hit a golf ball at 50 meters with a pistol. Politics and the racial situations in the country would have had him in big trouble had he hit one of them. I grabbed the house keys and pressed the gate remote and my dad called the police while he came in. I met him at the front door and we walked out to the car to wait there for the police. It took them over an hour to get there, some excuse of no vehicle available. By the time I had calmed down and I started to look for the dog, I could not find her anywhere. I grabbed the flashlight from my dad and started scanning the surrounding yard, and as I got to the corner, I could see her laying on the ground. I got to her and I saw that she was dead. Later autopsies revealed that she was poisoned, and the police found pieces of meat laced with poison near the fence. Poisoning is a pretty standard practice in my country for dealing with dogs at the house or the area that's targeted for a break-in robbery. I was fuming, and so sad. The police were also pretty useless, and had a don't-give-a-shit attitude, and barely took our statements. By that time it was starting to get light outside, and I retrieved my bag, phone, and locked the house as good as I could without touching anything. I drove home behind my dad, and only when I got home I got the story from my dad's side. He said he answered my call, only to hear the shouting and what sounded like fighting going on. When I didn't respond, he flew out of the house and raced over. 
Luckily, he asked for the address the previous night, and he knows the area well to know exactly which house it is. Now my dad got there pretty quickly, and he said that he stayed in the line the whole time, only hanging up when he stopped at the gate. My parents' house is about 6 miles from there, through the residential area. It's normally about a 20 minute drive, and the call duration was 7 minutes and 13 seconds. I met the detective there later that day and gave my statement. They took fingerprints, etc., and the owners got back at the same time. The rest of the day was kind of a blur, as it came down from the shock and adrenaline. Now that's not where the story ends. About 7 or 8 months later I got a call from the detective, telling me that they caught the guys. I must come in to line them up and point them out. I specifically told her that I didn't see any of their faces, as it was dark, and after the guy held the gun against my head, I was under the blankets and didn't see anything. She assured me that they caught them on the fingerprints, and will show them to me beforehand, which might not be the ethically correct way to do it, but they wanted to have as much evidence as possible against them. You will understand why in a minute. I got to the police station, and unlike you see in the movies, there's no one-way glasses separate the room. They bring the three guys into the room and make them stand against the wall. The one, which I was later told was the leader, which was the one that I had need, looked at me with so much hate as I've never seen in my life. He had the eyes of someone that would slit your throat and not blink an eye. His name was Joseph Dragon Shambu. He put his hand up to his neck and made the slit my throat gesture. You know which one I mean. We left the room and the detective gave me a copy of his rap sheet, amongst others. Four counts of murder, I think eight or nine for attempted murder. Multiple assault, aggravated assault, over 100 house break-ins and robbery, including rape. I was shocked. The detective told me if I had not taken him out first and fast that night, I would have definitely not gotten away so lightly. Now this is not where the story ends. Three days later, I get another call from the detective, saying that I should be careful, and he had escaped from custody, and they had not caught him yet. I wasn't worried too much as the robbery wasn't at my house, and I had changed cars, so he probably couldn't find me. Also I got my firearm license and carried my pistol on me 24-7. I didn't hear anything after that, until about two years later, when I saw the detective in the grocery shop. We started talking about the case and she told me that he was killed during a home invasion. He broke into the wrong house and the owner was waiting for him, pistol in hand. Shot him once in the stomach and once in the neck and thanks to the slow response time of the emergency services and police, he bled out on the guy's living room floor, ridding society of a piece of human garbage. I want to add a bit of info into this, all three that were caught were most ambition nationalists undocumented and no fingerprints or IDs in the system, essentially illegal immigrants. And it is of an opinion in South Africa that more than 7% of the violent crime is done by illegal immigrants, mainly Mozambican, Zimbabwean, or Nigerian descent. It makes it fairly easy, because none of these countries have extradition to South Africa. So if it gets too hot, they just flee back over the border and nothing can be done to them. This whole ordeal has made me more vigilant, heightened my situational awareness, and made me a little paranoid. 
to double and triple check all doors, locks, etc. Also thanks to my heightened situational awareness, it has allowed me to remove myself from a few potential dangerous situations in the years after the incident, but it also robbed me of a peace of mind. I have since immigrated to a safer country, but I still sometimes wake up at night if I hear a noise. So to keep up with tradition, Joseph, we will never meet again as you have passed, but to his cronies and anyone that wants to try something similar, please do not pay me a visit. I will arrange your swiftly departure and reunion with Joseph in hell. And to Joseph, I hope you died in agony for poisoning Daisy. When I was a freshman in high school, I was dealing with a lot of things, and it ultimately cost poor life decisions. So I started high school when I was young, barely 13 years old. I'm a female, now a junior. I didn't think anything about the guys since I wasn't focused on people. I didn't really care about anyone else, except two friends I had in the class that I had with him. He was 17 at the time, and yes, in those classes, the grade levels were mixed. Nothing ever struck me as odd about him, since I really paid attention to him. Until one day in biology, I looked up for my paper and I saw him taking pictures of me. I was creeped out, but didn't say anything in case I was wrong. Then days later he found my Instagram and kept texting me, which I obviously never responded to. And if I had to, it would have been very dry and just leave him on scene. Then one day in the middle of class, I got a text from a random number saying, Hey, with my name. Various emojis like heart ones. And I immediately knew it was him, since earlier he was asking for my number, which I declined to give to him. I immediately went to my two friends in the class to yell at them for giving him my number, to which they replied they never gave it to him. They even showed me their phones and let me go through them. Their messages with him and no number of mine, so it was never mentioned, despite his numerous texts asking them for it. I never answered him and desperately tried to avoid him, until one day on Instagram I got a text message from him saying, you're so pretty, to which I replied that I wasn't pretty, and then he spammed me with pictures that he'd taken of me, that wasn't even the creepiest part. There were like 50 plus pictures of me ranging from classes around the school campus and even outside of school, like near the bus stop or waiting for a friend at the quad to go somewhere. There was even some of me playing soccer with my friends in the football field. It used to be a soccer field too, since the soccer field gets flooded easily and constantly is getting fixed to look pretty. Obviously I left him on scene, I blocked him and avoided him even more to the point I started skipping class. And when I did go, I told the teacher what happened. While I was shaking and she let me go to the dean of the school, where I showed them everything, and I even gave them the number I got the message from. It's been two years now, I'm a junior. I stayed in school since they have connections to a hospital I want to volunteer in, because I have great friends there. He made a new account on everything, Instagram, Snapchat, and probably got a new number, and he's been trying to follow me and message me for weeks now. I keep blocking him, but new accounts are created. 
I'm honestly glad for quarantine since I'll probably never be nervous to go to class or even school. It's also worth mentioning that it's still not known how we got my number, as the only two people who had it never gave it to him. And I'm 100% sure that he was following me around school, even after I told the dean. If anyone is going through or has gone through something similar, please tell a close friend or family member because it can get worse. So, I'm a 21-year-old male, and this experience happened last summer, while I was on vacation in Myrtle Beach with my family. We were staying in a resort right off the beach, and we're on the 13th or 14th floor, in a sort of timeshare. One night I was feeling restless and having a hard time falling asleep. At around 3am I decided to go out on the balcony to get some air. I stepped out and was stunned as there was a full moon, and the moonlight on the water was really beautiful. The beach was completely empty, as far as I could see, and I'd never seen it like that before. I decided since I wasn't able to sleep, I might as well head down, take a stroll, and listen to some music to relax. Hopefully when I returned I'd be able to get some sleep. It was really unsafe and dumb of me, but since it was 3am and the rest of my family was asleep, I decided I would just head down without letting anyone know I was going, as I thought I'd just go and chill there for about 10-15 minutes, and then come right back up. So at the base of the timeshare, where there was an area with a pool, an outdoor bar, and then two broad walks separated by about 100 feet, which both led to the beach. On the sides of the boardwalks, there was a swarth of tall grass, separating the ocean and the resort. When I got down to the base, the entire area was completely deserted, and I started walking down the boardwalk, on the right towards the beach. As I'm walking down, I suddenly see someone approaching me from the beach, which was strange because I had a pretty clear view of the same area from the balcony, just before I had literally seen no one. I started to get a bit nervous as I see the figure approach, and as I get closer, I see it's a man, maybe in his late 30s who has a backpack on and is wearing glasses with large square lenses. As he gets closer, I get a clearer look at him, as the boardwalk is sort of illuminated by lights from the outdoor bar. He looks to be very on edge and alert, almost like he's trying to find someone who is trying to meet him in this area, and his clothes are somewhat tattered. We made eye contact and I sort of nodded at him and I passed. At this point, I'm creeped out, because honest to god, he had a sort of Jeffrey Dahmer look. Maybe it was the glasses, and he just didn't seem like he actually belonged to a timeshare. I shake it off and I keep walking down the beach. I put my headphones in, as I get down to the beach I turn right and start walking parallel to the water, and I'm just taking in the scenery. I'm barefoot and I decide it'd be nice to walk, just along the shoreline. So I move closer to the water and I continue walking. I'm walking for no longer than a minute before I get a really really strange feeling that something is wrong. I take my headphones off and I turn around. I see a dark figure that is trailing me just up shore. He is situated in between me and the timeshare. I immediately can tell from the form and the height of the body 
and the demeanor that it's the same man I passed on the boardwalk. At this point, I'm starting to panic, as every story from Let's Not Meet is rushed in my head. At the same time, I'm trying to rationalize it, as it feels too surreal that I may actually be in a dangerous situation. So I remind myself it could just be a coincidence. The man decided he also wanted to take a walk on the beach. It just happened to be heading the same direction as me. So I take some breaths and I turn my head back to the ocean and continue walking in the same direction. After a couple of seconds, I turn my head back again and see now that he's much closer to me and is not walking parallel to me, but is definitely actually walking towards me. I pick up my walking speed now and turn my head back around. I see he's matching my faster pace and is still walking towards me in the water. Still, for some reason, I think, okay, maybe he also wants to walk by the water. There's no way I'm actually being followed by a creepy man on a deserted beach. So, at this point, I truly tested. I do a 180 and completely change directions. As I turn my head, I see him completely change directions with me, and continues closing in distance. And he is power walking now. It suddenly hits me that I'm in a really bad situation, and I take off in a run along the water. And he's starting to run as well, but stays up shore of me, so that if I try to run up towards the boardwalk, he will intercept me. I'm freaking out now, and I just keep running with no plan, but figure that since I'm 20 and sort of fit, I should probably be able to keep running along the water and outrun him then find some other exit off the beach and either call my family or head back to the timeshare up on the road. So I keep running and he's keeping up with me. This goes on for what feels like 10 or 15 minutes. The scariest part of all of this, which I wouldn't have thought of it, it is completely dead silent. All I hear is my breath and the feet on the sand. And when I turn, I only see a shadowy figure up shore, keeping pace with me. Suddenly up ahead in the sand, I see a small blue light and what looks like four people on the beach with a blanket. They're a bit up shore. I turn and I look at the figure and bet even though they are up shore, I can beat him to these people. So I start sprinting towards them with hopes of quickly telling them what's going on so we can all confront him. I really use up my energy sprinting towards them and as I approach my heart drops, what I see is four guys on a blanket with three or four handles of hard liquor surrounding them. Three of the handles are empty, and the fourth is about half empty. Three of the guys are completely passed out on the blanket, and the last is half set up, obviously beyond shit-faced, with a sort of party hat on it that has blue lights on it, and he's talking to himself. His eyes are half closed, and he doesn't even register me approaching him, even though I'm no more than five feet away. I turn and see the figure has slowed down and is observing me, and then he makes sense of the group state and suddenly starts sprinting at me. As he gets closer, the half-passed-out guy's blue lights illuminate him, and I can see clearly it's the same guy as before. I make eye contact with him and I can start to see his eyes widen, and he looks almost manic, and is barreling at me full sprint. At this point, I decide I have to do something decisive. It seemed like I had underestimated his fitness, and since I had just sprinted towards the group and exhausted myself, 
I was afraid that he might actually be able to catch up with me, if I just continued running along the beach, indefinitely, and then who knows what. So instead of turning around and running, I suddenly sprint towards him, and to the right, which I don't think he was expecting at all. I catch him off balance and run past him, and I literally am in full running sprint towards the timeshare, without even looking back. Literally all the hairs on the neck were standing and it felt like a dream. Where are you barely or evading someone as he's right about to catch you? The adrenaline was crazy and I kept running and I start to see the timeshare. I finally turn around to see how close he is and I see him in a distance maybe 400 or 500 feet away. He's lost a lot of distance on me. I don't waste any time and I sprint up the boardwalk and towards the base of the timeshare. I jam the elevator <laughs> I jam the elevator buttons and leap in and start mashing the door buttons as I'm gasping for air. The door closes and I hit the bottom of the floor. And when the elevator reaches, I literally sprint back to my room, open the door, enter and slam the door and double lock it. I'm breathing heavy and I drop to the floor. And I just sit there for a moment, not believing what had just happened. I crouch and crawl over to the room, as I was literally afraid he might be able to see me through the window or the balcony, and I enter my room. Let's just say I definitely wasn't able to sleep after that. Guy who chased me on the beach, let's not meet again. A few years back, my then boyfriend and I, 22 female, we were living in a one-bedroom apartment in downtown Denver, about a mile away from the coveted Larimer Square and tourist favorite, 16th Street. The location was fantastic, but with people-dense areas often comes trouble. We live in a historic house with four townhouses next to one another. The layout is important to the story. All four front doors were aligned on a single porch. My apartment was located next to an alley, and was the last door on the left. Due to a work obligation, my boyfriend was sent on a three month long work assignment, leaving me alone in the house with our two dogs. No sweat off my back. After growing up in a small town in the northeast, I was eager to explore. My days after work were filled with long walks around the dog parks, and exploring restaurants and craft breweries in downtown. All was well until it wasn't. Being alone most of the time and raised in a town of 4,000. Of my cousins, exaggeration, but not really. I was docile and trusting. The worst combination. About a month into being alone in the city, I would come home to three men smoking outside my door. The first encounter I decided to keep walking and called a nearby friend to help me get into my house safely. I thought this was a one-time thing. But weeks later, the men continually showed up. It was routine. When I got home at 5pm, they were there lighting up a cigarette. Almost like they were waiting for me. I was finally at my wit's end and asked them if they lived here, and whether they could verify that with my landlord. None of them answered and two proceeded to walk down the alley, but one remained stone cold and standing as ground. Continuing to smoke, I was upset, and I repeated the question. Do you live here? Can you verify this? He stared at me with his dark, cold eyes and put his cigarette out on my door, only to brush my shoulder as he left my property. 
Safe to say I was unnerved. I reached out to my boyfriend to let him know what happened, and he relayed the message to our landlady. A few days had gone by since my past encounter, and there was no sign of those men. I felt pretty good about myself. I had taken for granted being able to walk up my apartment steps without being fearful. I had made it to Friday and decided to treat myself to a few drinks with local friends. I had become diligent about locking windows and doors. Being next to an alley made me feel extra invulnerable, and after my confrontation with these porch creeps, I was on edge. My night out was enjoyable after a few beers. I decided it was time to go home. Thankfully, a friend of mine, instead of making sure, I got into my house safely. After all, he was the one who had assisted me on a few occasions before. I arrived home and he walked me to the door. But upon arrival, my door was covered in ash, and the porch floor in cigarette butts, but the aroma of freshly smoked cigarettes was still in the air. He could see the fear in my face and offered to sleep on the couch to keep watch, but I told him I would be fine on my own. I stayed up a bit longer, double checking locks and pulling my blinds down. After about 20 minutes, I retreated to my bedroom, which faced my front door, but sure to keep my door ajar so my... Rhodesian Ridgeback could be aware of anything happening outside my door. After a bit of Netflix, I finally dozed off until 3am when I woke to my dog growling. I was petrified. Something in me knew tonight was the night he slash they would be back. I got out of my bed slowly, trying to make as little sound as possible. I peered out of my door and saw a single hand on the stained glass window and a pair of eyes peering in. Sure enough, he was back. I had unfortunately left my kitchen lamp on, exposing my house to the outside world, and knew if he had seen me, it was game on, which ensured terror. The man, appearing to be shirtless and yelling slurs at me, began pounding on my door, demanding entrance. I retreated to my room and called 911, who told me to stay low, avoid interaction, and to stay in the line until the officers arrived. I couldn't stand to watch him punching the window, because I knew it was a race between him and the officers for whoever got to me first. Finally there was a loud crash. I peered through the door crack to see that he had upgraded from a hand to a brick, causing the glass to begin cracking. I remember vividly, it had been almost 10 minutes on the phone with dispatch at this point, with officers 10 minutes away from my home. After a few more brick throws, I watched him scale the porch to my window trying to obliterate the class, leaving the cracks in his wake, and then there was silence. I once again looked towards my front door to see him looking back at me, cigarette in hand, until the cops arrived. I was told to wait for a knock on my door, which finally came, to tell me it was safe to come out. I made it outside just as they were putting it in the back of the vehicle, when he yelled, Bye Pete. This shook me to my core. Only my family referred to me as that, and they were thousands of miles away. I realized he had been watching, listening, waiting. He probably knew my boyfriend was gone, and most likely heard me refuse to have my friend stay here. I watched the vehicle drive away and called whoever I could to get a hold of at this hour. Come morning, my mom finally came back to me and told me to get in touch with the officers and press charges, something that entirely slipped my mind during the mayhem. I called them back and asked them to get the paperwork, 
only to be told that he was put into a hospital and ran off before properly identifying him. Needless to say, I moved shortly thereafter, and my boyfriend found another job locally. To the cops who were absolutely no help, good riddance, and to the man who was after me for god knows what, let's not meet again. This story takes place about two years ago. I was about 16 and 5 foot 6, who either looked like a 12 year old boy or a 16 year old tomboy depending on the person. At the time as well, I suffered from really bad anxiety, and you could definitely see it in my body language. I was definitely visually an easy target for predators, so I was this 16 year old kid just picking up hardbacks from my last year in school. After I was done shopping, I decided to get a tram back to my dad's workplace, and then he would take me home. It was a Sunday morning, pretty chill, and it definitely had an uneasy feel. I hated going into town alone, but no one else was available to join me, so I sucked it up and did the deed. The trams were new at the time, and I'd only taken them two or three times, so I was definitely hypervigilant on them, especially since I suffered with anxiety. Hypervigilant, so I didn't miss my stop or hypervigilant that nothing weird happens, as the trams were notorious for weird people. I walk to my tram stop and I wait. I see the next tram is soon, but there's a guy making me unbelievably uneasy. I hate assuming the worst in people, but this man was making me so uncomfortable. Nothing in particular was off about him. He looked a bit scruffy, but not a predator. So I decided to walk away from the stop for a bit and wait for my tram to come to pass, then return and get the other one. They come often enough and this dude was giving me the creeps. I walked away for a bit, take a nice relaxing stroll to calm myself down, and return to the stop. He's still there. When I left, he definitely watched me leave and waited for me to return. Now at the time, I was doubting myself. I was telling myself I'm being irrational. Something like a creepy dude following me could happen to me, surely. Wrong. We get on the tram, and my tram takes about five stops to my dad's workplace. I walked down the tram a bit. The man was still in my eye line, and I wasn't his. Now my dad's workplace is about a five minute stroll from my tram stop, but I'd still walk down a quiet area. An area that someone could easily assault you, or take you, and not many would take notice especially on a Sunday morning. At each stop, I'm praying this guy gets off on the tram, but he does not. My anxiety has hit the roof, and although the tram walk is only about five minutes, I call my dad to pick me up right outside the station. My dad surprisingly obliges. I think he could tell something was off with me, so all I have to do is walk out of the tram station and make it to the car. I still had hope in my heart that this guy would get off at my station, and go to the next instead. It comes to my stop and I get off. And of course, Mr. Creepy gets off too. No one else gets off but the two of us. The guy looked at me and I looked at him. We make eye contact. I could tell he was planning on walking my direction and followed me out. I could see him panic a little and then he walks in the opposite direction of me. Now the chilling part about this is the station only has one exit. This man turns around and walks onto the tracks of the tram, and just wanders off. 
I didn't stay too long to see if he would come back, and I sped walked to my dad's car. When I got into my dad's car, I double checked with him that there was only one exit to the station, as the tram is only new, and I wasn't familiar with it. He says, yes, there's only one station, and I'm covered in goosebumps. This man waited for me to get onto the tram, even though he could have taken an earlier one. Followed me to the station, and decided to last minute abort his mission. I've tried to rationally explain this to myself. Maybe he wasn't following me, and he was just a weird dude. But why did his presence make me so uneasy that I decided to walk away and wait for the next tram? Why did he wait for the next tram, when he could have taken an earlier one? What are the chances of this man getting off at the same stop as me? Why did he not use the exit and walk onto the tracks instead? It's not like I gave him a desk stare. We made eye contact when I got off the tram and I was only 5 foot 6, 16 year old kid. Definitely not intimidating. All I know about this experience is that I'm glad my dad picked me up outside the station and I never want to experience the feeling of being followed again. Hey friends, thanks for watching the video. I hope you enjoyed it and I'm not going to make this a super long outro or anything like that. Just want to say thank you. Um, if you guys can, please drop a like on the video. And if you're not subscribed yet, I'd really appreciate it if you did. Hit that bell icon and hit all notifications to be notified when I drop a video. For some reason, YouTube has not been letting my subscribers know when I post videos. Um, that's all I really got to say. And remember, keep it spooky.